Pastor Jean. Good morning, everyone. I got to be careful. It sounds like I'm pretty loud. <laughs> it's great to see each one of you here this morning. It's so wonderful to be able to come together in the Lord's house with brothers and sisters in the Lord and worship Him. Now, the important part is not necessarily that I am here or that you are here, but the important part is that the Holy Spirit is here. Because you know the promise that was given to us in Scripture that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And we're here this morning and we're here in His name, are we not? So let's be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I want to publicly thank Pastor Ryan for allowing me the privilege to be able to stand before you and share the Word of God this morning in his absence. And I pray that the Lord will help me to step aside and that he will have his Word delivered, that the Holy Spirit will deliver it to each one of us in a personal, real way. We're going to begin this morning by doing our Bible Pledge. So I'm going to ask each one of you if you would stand at this time, and I'm going to ask you if you would mean this from the very bottom of your heart. The, the Bible pledge will appear as two pages on the screen, so I ask you to raise your scriptures to the Lord and join with me in our Bible pledge this morning. This is my Bible. It is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind, changes my heart, and refreshes my soul. It is my daily bread. By faith I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith, and not by sight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Now I'm going to ask you to hold on to, you know, to your scriptures and turn to Mark chapter 15, to the scripture that you see on the screen at this time, and we're going to come to our scriptures in just a, in just a few moments. I've been... Uh, 
listening to discussions having to do with what the length of a sermon should be. And listening to these guys, why, one of them said, well, you know, a sermon shouldn't be more than 15 minutes. And his reasoning was, I thought, rather demeaning, because he said, you know, in, in our current generation, people's attention span isn't what it used to be. Hmm. Another one said, well, a, a sermon should be at least 25 minutes in length because you can't develop truth in the depth that you need to in the shorter period of time than that, and anything that's shorter than that is, is just a devotional. Another one said, well, a, a sermon has to be at least 35 or 40 minutes long if you're going to get into the context and if you're going to develop the background, and if, then if you're going to personalize it in a real way so it touches the hearts and lives of people. And the one thing I noticed about in all of this discussion was they left out the most important part. Because you see, to me, the most important part in regard to what a, what a sermon should be and how long it should be is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I happen to be a pastor that believes in the fact that the pastors should be much in prayer in regard to where God would take them in the Word for any particular Sunday to be able to speak directly to what the Holy Spirit only knows, and that is the spiritual needs, burdens, and concerns of the people in attendance and those listening online, and also the particular spiritual needs of the community surrounding them because, after all, God's called the fellowship to minister in this community. So I don't think that it's some big broad plan that I have, but it should be God's plan. The Holy Spirit knows what, what is needed. Now, in listening to that discussion, I was reminded of the pastor who had really bad teeth. His teeth had gotten so bad that between himself and his dentist, he decided it was time for him to get dentures. And so the date was set as to when he would receive his dentures, the week that all the work would be done. And so it was. The, the work was done. He received his new dentures. And the next Sunday, he stood up to preach. And he only preached for seven minutes. The following Sunday, he only preached for five minutes. But the third Sunday, he stood up to preach. He was still going strong after two hours when the lay leader came up and put his arm around the pastor's shoulders and said, Pastor, we're all going to have to go home now. Why don't we say the benediction? So in the week that followed, the church council asked to meet with the pastor. They inquired of him, you've never preached two hours before. Why were you still going so strong after two hours? Well, he said, you know, that first Sunday... After I got my new dentures, my mouth was so sore, I couldn't talk more than seven minutes. And I said to myself, you know, it's going to get better. It's going to do some healing this week, and I'll, I'll be better by the following week. But he said the following week was even worse. It was so sore, he said, I could only, I could only talk for five minutes. But he said this last Sunday, this third Sunday, well, he said this third Sunday... I accidentally put my wife's dentures in instead, and I couldn't stop talking. Okay. I don't, I don't have 
anybody else's dentures in this morning, <laughs> or any for that matter, but <laughs> I hope you have your scriptures open. You know, we're going to come to a subject about, that speaks to all of us in regard to risking it all, risking it all for Christ. You know, there's, there's many obscure heroes in the Bible. We know about the ones that the Bible speaks of the most, and we talk about them quite often. Uh, you know, the, in the Old Testament, we talk about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and, and, and King David and, you know, the major prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And in the New Testament, we, we talk about the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John. Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. But, but there are many others that are only spoken of briefly um, that are really true heroes. And today our, our, we're going to look at Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, he was a man who risked it all for Jesus. You know, he, he started out like many of us. He was a little unsure of himself. But when a hero was needed, uh, he stepped up boldly. So come with me, if you will, to... Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, we're going to begin reading at verse 42, and it deals with the burial of Jesus. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we come to you this morning humbly, understanding that I'm so limited, but you are not, Lord. And so I ask you to take charge that you will speak truth to the hearts of each one of our listeners here today that see your words in Scripture. And help us, Lord, that we might bring our lives into alignment with your will and your purpose. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we, uh, why don't we start a revival in Laughlin this morning? You know, you, you know how revival starts, don't you? See, revival starts... When each one of us, separately, individually, when each one of us places ourselves alone and draws a circle around ourselves. And then we make certain that the person that's within that circle has everything right with God. I mean, there's so many, so many people who nominally claim the name of Christian that claim that they're servants of Christ, but they're withholding some things from him. 
They have, they have compartmentalized their lives, and so they've given some of the compartments to God, but they haven't given all of the compartments to God. And I want to tell you that the way revival begins, in this service, if every single one of us that are here will be honest completely and totally before God with ourselves, because look, there are no secrets. You see, if people think they're hiding things. God sees everything. God knows everything. So we, draw, we don't draw this circle around somebody else. We draw it around ourselves. And then we make sure that where we are, that we've made a full and complete commitment to Christ. I want to tell you this morning that if everyone here within the sound of my voice, whether it be in person or online, and everyone in the 1030 service comes to the Lord completely and fully in that way, and gives it all up to him, and makes a full commitment to Christ, I guarantee you a revival will start in Laughlin. We hold the key. We who claim the name of Christ, we hold the key. Now, when Jesus' disciples were struggling with the shock that their Messiah had died, I mean, Peter had already denied that he knew Jesus three times. When no one else was rising up to identify themselves with Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea found the courage to boldly come to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body to give it a proper burial. Everyone else was hiding. See, heroes are made in the time of crisis. When it would be easier to sit back and simply do what everyone else is doing. Joseph of Arimathea is the kind of hero who demonstrates that to follow Jesus, to really follow him, you're going to have to risk it all. And you're going to need all the help that you can get from God. We are totally dependent upon him. So, who was Joseph? You know, what characteristics define Joseph? And as I looked at what I can find in, in, in the few scriptures regarding Joseph of Arimathea, I've come to consider him to be a four-dimensional person. And here's the first dimension. Was Joseph the secret agent? The secret agent. When you go to John's Gospel, the 19th chapter and the 38th verse, John's account says, Later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... Because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So this is one of the three mentions of Joseph of Arimathea in the Bible. It's the same story that appears in other Gospels, but just a little different take on it. This passage says that Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jews. How many Professing Christians fear what other people are going to think. But Joseph eventually gets the courage to come out in the open about his faith in Jesus at a very difficult and dangerous time. The Bible tells us in direct and clear language who and what we are to be as Christians. We are to be, the Bible says, the salt of the earth. Salt that can be tasted. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Not only are we to be salt, but we are also to be lights that shine brightly. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we're to be salt, and we're to be light. We are also to be spokesmen who proclaim the word of God with boldness. In Matthew 10, 27, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. See, we're not supposed to be secretive, but we're supposed to be upfront about God. So that's the first dimension I see. The second dimension that I see in regard to Joseph is that he's the public figure. The public figure. In Mark 15, 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, he, he also told Joseph of Arimathea's story, but he provides different details than John does. In Matthew 27, verses 57 through 60, it says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So Matthew gives us another perspective. He tells us that Joseph was a rich man, even making mention of the fact that Joseph had his own private tomb that he had cut out of the rock, which was a symbol of, of his wealth and his status within the community. So Joseph was rich. He had his own tomb. He was a council member. In short, Joseph was a public figure. Here's the third dimension I see, and that is that Joseph was the good man. The good man. Luke 23 Verses 50 through 51 says he was a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. In Luke's version of the story, we get you know, a few more details. Joseph was a good and upright man. He hadn't agreed at all with the Jews about crucifying Jesus. He also says Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God, if you look at verse 51. So Joseph was a wealthy public figure who probably feared losing his wealth and status if he identified too closely with Jesus. Yet he was still a good and upright man who wanted to do the right thing and secretly, secretly believed in Jesus. Here's the fourth dimension, and in my view, the most important one. And that is the fact that I see Joseph, the bold hero. The bold hero. Back here again in Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter in Verse 43, it says, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. After Jesus' death, 
You know, Joseph of Arimathea went boldly, boldly to Pilate. Earlier, Joseph had been secretly following Jesus while publicly acting the part of a good, upright, wealthy man because he feared what the Jews would do to him. Now, though, Joseph is one of the few who is willing to identify himself as being a follower of Jesus. So here are some of the practical lessons that we learn from Joseph's example. And this is when we get down to where the rubber meets the road, to the nitty-gritty. And that is this. You know, to follow Jesus, you have to risk some things. For one thing, you have to be willing to risk your wealth. Your wealth. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So by stepping forward as a follower of Jesus, Joseph risked having his money, property, and positions of power taken from him. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But you can't serve your wealth. Now, most of us would say, hey, pastor, I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. Anything that you hold on to as being of high value, even more valuable than your relationship with Jesus Christ is your wealth, is your wealth. And if you look around the world at the poverty that so many people around the world live in, every single one of us is better off economically, living conditions, clean water, than most of the rest of the world. The reality is this, that pursuing wealth, whatever it is, Above God, serving anything above God leads to all sorts of problems. If you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your reputation. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Don't forget these last three words. Because of me. Not because of that's the way you are. Not because of what you've actually done. Not because of the evil intent of your ways or some of the nonsense that you've pulled behind someone's back. But because of the fact that you're serving the Lord. Because you're, you're, you're claiming the name of Christ and you're living that life. Then, then you must be willing to risk your reputation before these other people in order to really serve Jesus Christ in the way that he's calling you to serve him. Joseph came to a point in time when he was willing to lay his reputation on the line for Jesus. So following God means you have to risk that. You have to risk being thought of as as a fool, as a wimp, as a religious fanatic, as a Jesus freak, and so on. People will at one time or another insult you and say lies about you because of your faith in Christ. Now, how, how should we view this potential threat? Well, notice, 
We always come back to the scriptures, folks. That's why you're going to see a lot of scriptures on the screen this morning. It's all about what God's word has to say. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So rather than fearing persecution and the possibility of losing our worldly possessions, we should be ready for it and even count it a blessing because even Jesus himself dealt with the same stuff. If, if this isn't happened to you if, as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if this isn't happening to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be asking, what's wrong with me? You know, am I really walking and witnessing before the world the way God wants me to? Are you willing to be called a Jesus freak because you love Jesus with all your heart and you're serving him with all your soul? The answer needs to be yes. You know, if you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your status. Your status. Philippians 3, 7 says, But whatever was to my prophet, the Apostle Paul writing, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, before what happened on the road to Damascus, as Saul of Tarsus, he had a lot of status before he became a Christian. He was a highly educated, respected, zealous Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen. Yet he says here that he considers it all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Joseph had a lot of status in Jerusalem. And by openly following Jesus, he ran the risk of losing his membership on the council and a lot of the power that he held in the city as a public figurehead. See, God, God will use people who have high status, but only if they are willing to risk it. To risk it. If you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your safety. Your safety. Most of us aren't willing to risk our safety, I don't think. Are we? 2 Corinthians 11.26, I have been in danger from rivers. This is the Apostle Paul again. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. See, Paul, Paul was willing to risk his safety to serve God. And so was Joseph. Serving God was dangerous for people in the Bible times. Paul was stoned, whipped, and more. Daniel was put in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Stephen was martyred by stoning. People were killed, tortured, and persecuted. Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 38 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, 
so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Are you willing for that to be you? Are you willing to pay that kind of a price because you're fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him so much? Both so many professing Christians are just seeking what they think is safety. Safety. There are many such martyrs still in the Christian church today. If you follow Jesus, you'll have to be willing to risk your life. Really, to risk your life. Matthew 16.25 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So Joseph here was willing to risk his life. The Jews had already killed Jesus, so killing his followers wasn't that far away. The way to win is not by fearing death, and by willing, being willing to give your life if you need to. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'm telling you folks, we don't have to fear death. Jesus won the victory. He's overcome Satan. He's overcome death. You know, we, we, we have resurrection life in Jesus Christ. I mean, the good stuff has only just begun when we, when we shed these bodies and we leave this world. and We go home to be with Jesus and in his presence of all the saints that have gone before. Life has really just begun. We don't have to fear death. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you're going to be willing to risk it all for Jesus, you know, you will need the courage of God. You will need to draw your courage from Him. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. So Jesus or Joseph risked it all when he asked for Jesus' body, and that took courage. You know, if you're not presently ready to risk everything for God, pray. Pray for courage. For courage. You will need a healthy fear of God. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with with all your heart and with all your soul. I mean, it's hard, is it not, to be willing to risk everything for God? You need, I need, we all need to have a healthy fear of him, to be able to follow through with whatever he asks you or me to lay down. If you've ever wondered what God wants from you, here it is. In a nutshell, to fear him, 
to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve him with everything that you have. The Bible commands us in numerous places to fear God. It's not a recommendation. Uh, It's a commandment. A fear of God will teach you wisdom. A fear of God will keep you from disobedience. A fear of God will bring God's blessing. A fear of God will help you to keep serving him consistently. We need to fear God more than we fear anyone or anything else. And finally, everyone said, praise the Lord. (laughs) When pastors say that, they may not be quite finished yet, but... Finally, if you're going to risk it all for Jesus, you will need the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Acts 4.31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Boldly. We need that, don't we? We need that. When the early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were able to speak the Word of God with boldness. So if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble risking it all for God, you need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in your life because the Holy Spirit brings boldness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So as we close, let's review. Let's review. Joseph of Arimathea started out a good and upright man who was afraid to openly admit his devotion to Jesus. But when the time came, he was ready to be bold for God. And you too, you and I, we can be bold and willing to risk our wealth, our reputation, our status, our safety, and even our lives. Godly men and women throughout the Bible have had to make the choice to risk everything for God rather than give in to the pressures around them. Always remember that you have the same Spirit of God in you as was in them. Do you know that since the death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, over 43 million Christians... Over 43 million Christians have become martyrs. Over 50% of these were in the last century alone. Today, think about this, today, more than 200 million Christians around the world face persecution each and every day, 60% of whom are children. Most often, persecution takes the form of imprisonment, abuse, and hostilities. In some cases, however, Christians are asked to face more than scorn, prison, or the loss of health. They are asked to face death. Every single day, today is no exception, over 300 people are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. we may not be facing that same kind of threat. We're blessed to be in the USA. But the question is this, for each of us, what price are you willing to pay? What risk 
are you willing to take for the cause of Jesus Christ? Each one of us must personally answer that question for ourselves. Would you please stand together at this time? In a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of invitation. And as I pray, I'm going to ask the choir members if they would come forward during this time of prayer, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your ministry. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts, for the work of the Holy Spirit. We need you every hour, Lord. But right now, as we wait before you, help us each one to do some introspection. Help us to allow your Holy Spirit to search us. And may we each one be willing to make a full and complete commitment to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in a moment, I'm going to stand down front. And if you have never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come and to share that with me. And if you want to receive him, we'll pray together. Perhaps you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've grown cold in your relationship with him. And you need to recommit to rededicate your life to him. Oh, what more wonderful time to do it than now. I'm going to invite you to come and share that with me. We'll pray, we'll pray together. Perhaps you have given your heart to the Lord, but you've never been baptized. And you'd like to be baptized when Pastor Ryan returns. I, I invite you to come and to share that with me. We'll rejoice in the fact that there will be plans made for your baptism walking in obedience to the word of God. So let's, let's just move as the Lord would have us to. Let's sing at this time. Good morning, everyone. It's certainly a pleasure to see each and every one of you here in the Lord's house this morning. What a blessing and what a privilege that we have this opportunity to worship together. I, as important as I feel that it is to, to greet so many wonderful friends here this morning, I think we need to recognize the most important part about this is that the Holy Spirit is here with us. We are totally dependent upon him. He's promised, you know, the Lord has, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So here we are, we're gathered together, we're in his name, and he is here. And so let's seek each one of us to be sensitive this morning to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we've come together here in the Lord's house. This morning, we're going to begin by doing our Bible pledge. So I'm going to ask each one of you to lay your hands on your scriptures, and I'm going to ask you as you're doing that, those that are physically able, would you please stand with me at this time?
Now, our Bible pledge is going to be on two pages on the screen. And so I'm going to ask if you would join with me, raise your Bible to the Lord, and join me in our Bible pledge this morning. This is my Bible. It is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind, changes my heart, and refreshes my soul. It is my daily bread. By faith I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. May that be so for each and every one of us this morning. You may be seated. And while you have your scriptures in hand, I'm going to ask you if you would turn at this time to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. You see on the screen uh, what our scripture text is this morning. I do want to take time publicly uh, to thank Pastor Ryan for allowing me this privilege to be able to stand before you and share God's word during the time of his absence this morning. And so I'm so appreciative of having been given that opportunity. I, I recently, you know, tuned in to discussions regarding what the length of sermons should be. And uh, these, these churchmen were giving their opinions. And one of them, uh, I thought his opinion was rather demeaning, he said that a sermon shouldn't be more than 15 minutes today because the generation today doesn't have the ability, uh, they have a shorter attention span than, than generations past. I thought that was really demeaning. Another one said why a sermon should be at least 25 minutes in length, that if it's not 25 minutes in length, you haven't gone in, de in depth enough and it's just a devotional otherwise. A third one said, well, a sermon should be 35 to 40 minutes in length because of the fact that if you go into the context and you go into the background and then you do all of the, the, uh, the personal application that needs to be made, that it takes that long to, to, to deliver and present a message in, in completeness and wholeness. And what struck me was they all missed the most important part. And that part is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They all missed that. You see, I'm of the belief as a, as a pastor that, that I should be very much in prayer in regard to what God would have me to preach at any given moment because he knows the people that are going to be in attendance today. And he knows the spiritual needs and burdens and concerns of those that are going to be present, and so he knows the message that they need to hear. And he knows the problems and concerns that are going out in the community surrounding us, in this community where God has called us as a fellowship to minister to that community. And so the pastor's message should, be, should reflect the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer today is that God will help me to step aside and allow the scriptures to speak to you and that the Holy Spirit will make the application. 
Now, in these guys, with their discussion and their talk about how long a sermon should be, I was reminded about the pastor who had really bad teeth. His teeth had gotten so bad that between his dentist and himself, they decided that it was time for him to have dentures. And so the week was set, the schedule was set, when he would have all the work done during that week and he would receive his new dentures. So it happened. And the Sunday after he had received his new dentures, he stood up to preach and he only preached for seven minutes. The second Sunday after he had gotten his new dentures, why, he, he only preached for five minutes. But the third Sunday, the third Sunday after he had gotten his dentures, he was still going strong after two hours. And the lay leader came up and put his arm around the shoulders of the pastor and said, Pastor, we've all, we all are going to go home now. Let's say the benediction. During the following week, why the church council asked to meet with the pastor, they, they made inquiry. They said, Pastor, why, why, did you, why were you preaching for two hours and still going? You've never done that before. Well, he said, you know, the first Sunday after I got my dentures, my mouth was so sore, I couldn't talk more than seven minutes. But I said to myself, you know, there will be healing take place, and by next Sunday, it'll be better. But by the following Sunday, he said it was sore, it was worse than before, and I could only talk for five minutes. But he said this past Sunday, the third Sunday, this third Sunday, well, he said, I made a mistake, he said, I, I inserted my wife's dentures instead, and I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> the one thing I can assure you of this morning is that this will not be two hours. I don't have my, any dentures. <laughs> What do you think about us starting a, a revival in Laughlin this morning? A revival. I mean, you know how a revival starts, don't you? A revival starts when we as individuals, just, just separate individuals, as one person, when we as individuals draw a circle around ourselves, not around somebody else, but around ourselves, and then we make certain that the person, not somebody else, but the person that's in that circle is right with God in every aspect. You see, there's so many of us as Christians professing the name of Christ who have compartmentalized ourselves to where there's some of ourselves, part of ourselves, we've given to the Lord. But part of ourselves we've been unwilling to let go of and give to God. And so we're kind of a mixed breed in that sense. But real true revival comes. True revival comes when each one of us individually draws that circle around ourselves and then makes a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that we really mean what we profess, that we really belong to him, and that he really has first place in every aspect of our lives. And there's no sense of being secretive about it because there is no such thing as secrets because God knows everything anyway and he sees everything. So if you want to see revival in Laughlin, I believe with all my heart that if the people that were in the 8 o'clock service and watching online, 
and the people that are here in the 1030 service today watching online, if every single one of us individually will make a full and a whole commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, revival will start in Laughlin today. Today. But it's up to us. It's up to us. Now, I hope you have your scriptures still open. And so come with me to, to Mark's gospel. The, 42nd, or the 15th chapter and the 42nd verse, and these verses have to do with the burial, the burial of Jesus. And we're talking about Joseph of Arimathea and the fact that he came to a point of being willing to risk it all. And we have to become, come to the point of being willing to risk it all. Beginning at verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And before we begin, would you bow your heads with me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious holy word. We thank you, Lord, that it is through your word that you speak to our hearts, that you minister to us. Lord, help us, each one, to be open and receptive to your scriptures. Help us, O oh Lord, to be willing to walk in the way of your calling. We submit this service unto you, and I pray, Lord, you'll help me to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to minister through your word. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are many obscure heroes in Scripture that we don't often talk about. We, we know about the more prominent heroic figures in Scripture. You know, when you go to the Old Testament, we know about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua King David, you know, we, we know about them. When we go to the New Testament, why, we know about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John. Uh, we know about the Apostle Peter. We know about the first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. But there are so many other heroes all through Scripture. And one of the reasons why we don't talk about them a lot is that there were very few verses that were written about them. And one of those people that I consider to be one of those heroes is the subject of our, of our focus here this morning, Joseph of, of Arimathea. Joseph came to a point where he well, had not initially been. He came to a point that he was willing to risk it all for Jesus, but it wasn't initially that way. Just like the rest of us, he had his own fears and he had his own trepidations and he had his own reservations. But when a hero was needed, you'll see that Joseph stepped up boldly. 
when Jesus' disciples were struggling with the shock that their Messiah had died, you see, when Peter, when Peter had already denied three times that he was associated with Jesus, when the other disciples and everyone else was hiding out and, and not acknowledging publicly their association with Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea found the courage to go boldly to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body to give it a proper burial. Heroes are made in times of crisis when it would be easier to sit back and just do what everyone else is doing. Joseph is the kind of hero who demonstrates that, you know, to really follow Jesus, to really follow him, you're going to have to risk it all and you're going to need all the help that you can get from God to do that. So who was Joseph? What, what characteristics define him? And as I looked at various scriptures, three of them, where Joseph's name appears, I came to the conclusion that this man was four-dimensional. And we want to look at those dimensions here briefly this morning. And the, 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 the first dimension that we're looking at is the fact that he was the secret agent. The secret agent. If you go to John's Gospel the 19th chapter and the 38th verse, John's account puts it this way. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So this is the one of the three mentions of Joseph in the Bible. It's the same story that appears in the other Gospels, but with a little different twist on it. This passage says that Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jews. But if Joseph, in spite of that, eventually gets the courage to come out in the open about his faith in Jesus at what was a very difficult and a very dangerous time. The Bible tells us in direct and clear language, who and what we are to be as Christians. You see, for example, the Bible says we are to be salt that can be tasted. Matthew 5.13 says you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So we are to be salt. And the next thing it tells us is that we are to be lights that shine brightly. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we are called to be salt, and we're called to be light. We are also to be spokesmen who proclaim the word of God with boldness. With boldness. Matthew 10, 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, 
Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Can't you just see Pastor Ryan on top of the roof of this building proclaiming the word of God? I did that in my first pastorate back in Corona, California. Back, I mean, I guess you could get away with that because I was only 20 years old at the time. But I told people if a, a certain number of people came and we had a certain attendance on a certain date, that I would eat my lunch up on the roof of the church. And they did it. And I did. <laughs> oh, to be 20 again? I don't so sure about that. <laughs> we are to be spokesmen who proclaim the word of God with boldness. And now, here's the other thing. We're not, the, the second dimension of Joseph, you know, we're not supposed to be secretive, but we're supposed to be upfront about God. And here's dimension number two that I see, and that is the public figure, the public figure. Mark 15:43 speaks of Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. Matthew, Matthew told jo- of Joseph of Arimathea's story, but Matthew provides different details than John. In Matthew 27, 57 through 60, it says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So Matthew calls him a rich man, even making mention of the fact that Joseph had his own private tomb that he had cut out of the rock for himself, which was in itself a symbol of his wealth and his status in the community. So Joseph was rich. He had his own tomb. He was a council member. In short, Joseph was a public figure. Here's dimension number three that I see, and that is that he was the good man. The good man. Luke 23, verses 50 through 51 says, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So in Luke's version of the story, we, you know, we get a little bit more in the way of detail. It says that Joseph was good and upright, And he hadn't agreed with the Jews about crucifying Jesus. He also says, Joseph, if you go to verse 51, that Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God. So Joseph was a wealthy public figure who probably feared losing his wealth and status if he identified too closely with Jesus, yet he was still a good man. He was an upright man who wanted to do the right thing and secretly believed in Jesus. But now we get down to the nitty-gritty, the fourth dimension. You know, this, this is the Joseph that I admire. This is the, the Joseph that, that I see. And that is Joseph, the bold hero. The bold hero. When you come back to Mark 15, it tells us in verse 43 that he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. So after Jesus' death, here he comes. Here comes Joseph, boldly. Earlier... 
He had been secretly following Jesus while publicly acting the part of a good, upright, wealthy man because he feared what the Jews would do to him. But now, Joseph is one of the few who at this moment is willing to identify himself as a follower of Jesus. So here are some of the practical lessons, which is what we've been coming to all along. Here's some of the practical lessons that we learned from Joseph's example. To follow Jesus, you have to risk some things. Risk some things. You have to be willing to risk your wealth. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So by stepping forward as a follower of Jesus, Joseph risked having his money, property, and positions of power taken from him. Now there's nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with that at all. But you can't serve your wealth. Now, I can just imagine that most of you here today are like me. You're able to say, but I'm not a rich person. I'm not wealthy. I'm not wealthy. Anything that you make the centerpiece of your life or anything that you think is more valuable and more important to you than serving Jesus openly is your wealth because that's what you cling on to. That's what is evidently precious to you. And when you look at the rest of the world, we're such a privileged people here in the United States. Our standard of living is so much higher than most of the rest of the world. With what little bit some of us seem to think of who we have, we would be considered by those people to be wealthy. But anything that you grasp onto and hold onto as the centerpiece in your life, folks, that is what you value as your wealth. If you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your reputation. Your reputation. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Don't forget the last three words. Because of me. It's not because people insult you because you're an idiot. It's not because people insult you and persecute you and say false things against you because you're such an irritation and a problem in their lives. It's because you have, because you have said things in regard to Jesus Christ and his ministry and his life and his love and how he wants to, all people to come to him. It's because they're doing this to you because... You are a person who has been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ boldly. And so you become a persecuted person, perhaps, or an insulted person. You know, and rather than getting up in arms, you might even say, praise the Lord, he's using me today. Are you willing to do that? Following God means you have to risk your reputation Risk being thought of as a fool, as a, as a wimp, as a religious fanatic, 
as a Jesus freak, and so on. People will at one time or another insult you and say lies about you because of your faith if you are boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world. So how should we view this potential threat? Well, the Bible speaks to that too because in 1 Peter chapter 4, at verse 14 it says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ... You are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Isn't that reassuring? That's reassuring. Causes me to want to be bold for Jesus. And if I'm not being insulted by the name of Christ, what's wrong with me? Why am I not being bold enough that this is happening to me? Do people know that you're serving Jesus? Do they know that he's first place in your life? Do they know that he's your Lord and Savior? Do they know that you've committed your heart and your life and your all to him? Be bold, my brothers and sisters. Rather than fearing persecution and the possibility of losing our worldly reputations, we should be ready for it and even count it a blessing because even Jesus himself dealt with this same stuff. Now, if you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your status. Your status. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul of Tarsus, before that experience on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus had a lot of status before he became a Christian. He was a highly educated, respected, and zealous Pharisee, a Roman citizen, yet he says here that he considers it all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Rubbish. Joseph Joseph had a lot of status in Jerusalem. And by openly following Jesus... He ran the risk of losing his membership on the council and a lot of the power that he held in the city as a public figurehead. God will use people who have high status, but only if they are willing to risk it, to risk it. If you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your safety. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Paul was willing to risk his safety to serve God. And we see here that Joseph of Arimathea came to the point of building willing to do that too. Serving God was dangerous for people in the Bible. Paul was stoned, whipped, and more. Daniel was put in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Stephen was martyred by stoning. People were killed, tortured, and persecuted. Hebrews 11.32 says, And what more shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. I want to tell you folks, there are many such martyrs around the world in the Christian church, in the Christian faith today. Here's another thing. If you follow Jesus, you will have to be willing to risk your life. To risk your life. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. So Joseph, Joseph here was willing to risk his life. I mean, come on, the Jews had already killed Jesus. So killing his followers wasn't that far away. The way to win is, not, is by not fearing death and being willing to give your life if you need to. Revelation 12:11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'm going to tell you, folks, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to. Because whatever happens, God is with us. I mean, the Apostle Paul is right. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My goodness sakes. You know, us old people, you know, I qualify several times over. <laughs> Got a birthday coming up before long. I'll, I'll really be there. You know, we got so many aches and pains. Even some of the young people do. We've got difficulties and heartaches and stresses and, you know, I don't want to be too negative, but you know what it is. I mean, our real home, the best stuff is waiting for us. To be absent with the, from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we lose, leave this old body behind, all those pains, all those aches, all those problems, all those stresses, all those things are gone. We see Jesus face to face. Wow. I mean, what a blessing. So we don't have to fear death. You know, Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For if you, for you are with me, you know, you and your staff, they comfort me. And here's another thing. If you're going to risk it all for Jesus, you know, you will need the courage of God. The courage of God. You'll need to draw your courage from him because you don't have that kind of courage within yourself. I don't either. You need to depend on him totally and completely. Courage comes from him. 
I remind the Lord in prayer every day, Lord, you are my strength. I'm asking you to strengthen me in body, mind, and spirit. When we, use, when we lose a loved one, we lose someone close to us, they go home to be with the Lord, you know, we're left behind. And we're dealing with the issues of life. And we're not all that strong by ourselves. But God is our strength. And we come to him, and we come to him daily and say, Lord, you are my strength. Strengthen me. Strengthen me in body and in mind and in spirit. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Joseph risked it all when he asked for Jesus' body. And that took courage. So if you're not presently ready to risk everything for God, then I encourage you to pray for courage. You will also need a healthy fear of God. You know, it's hard to be willing to risk everything for God. Deuteronomy 10:12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You need to have a healthy fear of him to be able to follow through with whatever he asks you to lay down. If you've ever wondered what God wants from you, here it is in a nutshell. He wants you to fear him. He wants you to walk in his ways, to love him and serve him with everything you have. The Bible commands us in numerous places to fear God. It's not a recommendation. It's a commandment. A fear of God will teach you wisdom. A fear of God will keep you from disobedience. A fear of God will bring God's blessings. A fear of God will help you to keep serving him. We need to fear God more than we fear anyone else. Finally, and everybody said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Not every time a pastor says, finally, is the end right around the corner, but you know. Finally, if you're going to risk it all for Jesus, you will need the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, in which they were meeting, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God, how? Boldly, boldly. When the early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were able to speak the word of God with boldness. So if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble risking it all for God, you need His Spirit in your life because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings boldness. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So now as we do close, <laughs> I want you to notice that Joseph started out a good man, an upright man, who was afraid to openly admit his devotion to Jesus. But when the time came, he was ready to be bold for God. And you and I, we too, can be bold and willing to risk our wealth, our reputation, our status, our safety, 
and even our very lives. Godly men and women throughout the Bible have had to make the choice to risk everything for God rather than to just give in to the pressures around them. Always remember that you have the same Spirit of God in you that was in them. Since the death of Jesus Christ, I want you to think about this, since the death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, over 43 million Christians have become martyrs. 43 million. Over 50% of these became martyrs in the last century alone. Today, more than 200 million Christians around the world face persecution each and every day, 60% of whom are children. Most often, persecution takes the form of imprisonment, abuse, and hostilities. In some cases, however, Christians are asked to face more than scorn, prison, or the loss of health. They're asked to face death. One last number. Every day, every day somewhere in the world, over 300 people are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Today, today, every day. And that brings us to the final questions. What price are you willing to pay? What risk are you willing to take for the cause of Christ? Are you ready to stand up boldly for Jesus? Would you please stand together at this time? We're going to come to a time of invitation. And before we come to that, and as the choir is coming forward, I'm going to ask if you'd bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we look to you. We need you more than we need anything. Without you, oh Lord, we can't do this. We aren't strong enough. We aren't courageous enough. But Lord, it's your Holy Spirit that we need. It's your Holy Spirit that can give us the courage to be what you'd have us to be. So Lord, if there are those here today who have not made that full and complete commitment to you, I pray at this time, as we wait before you, that they'll make that full and complete commitment and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you, O Lord, to know that I've sinned, but I ask you to forgive me of my sins, O Lord. I want to serve you. By faith, I reach out and receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. Right now, Lord, we wait before you. And we pray, O Lord, that this will be decision time for those in need. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we sing... I'm going to stand and I'm going to ask you, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your heart and life to him, what better time than right now? I mean, he stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to receive you. 
So I'm going to be down front here. And as we sing, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I invite you to come and share that with me. We'll pray together. If, if you know that you've given your heart and life to Jesus, but over time you've grown cold, you've grown cold, become a little distant, but you want to rededicate your life to him, you want to be renewed in spirit, then I invite you to come and share that with me. And we'll pray about that too because we go to him because he's the only one that has the answer. If you've given your heart to the Lord but you've never been baptized, you know, you saw the announcement that there's going to be baptisms next Sunday. What I invite you to do is come and share that information and we'll plug you in with people that can plug you in with Pastor Ryan so that you can be baptized. So we're going to sing now. And as we do, if you need to make a decision for Christ, I invite you to come and do that at this time.